0: In the new book, The Heart of Leadership, a colleague describes Maureen Bisignano this way. She's the bridge between the practical in the present today camp and the visionary tomorrow future camp. With the bridging, she gets people excited about the future and decreases the anxiety so you can handle it. She gives us, us the room to change. No single phrase can sum up Maureen Bizignano's leadership style, but one thing is clear. If you want to move forward in an ever more complex economy and healthcare environment today, you either need to speak with or channel Maureen. Welcome to WIHI, a free online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan, your host and producer, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. After a brief break in August, we're back to our regular biweekly schedule for WIHI, and I really couldn't think of a better way to kick things off than to have Maureen Bisignano with me in the studio. She's going to talk with me, but most importantly, she's going to engage with all of you. Maureen became IHI's president and CEO in mid-July as we bid farewell to our founder, Don Berwick, who is now heading the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, On this edition of WIHI, we're going to talk with Maureen about moving into that top seat and what's on her mind about healthcare costs, quality, and the next ways of change needed to improve patient care. We're also going to be fielding your questions and comments. We're very excited about WIHI. We're kind of into our second year and, and thrilled with this program. One important note, if you're tuned to us live along with honoring the Jewish or Ramadan holidays, Thanks for being with us, Lashana Tova, or I'm told there's a nice greeting, Ramadan Kareem, which means a generous Ramadan. If you're listening to this program as an archived edition, the same greetings to you. This is WIHI, I'm Madge Kaplan, and I'm thrilled to welcome IHI President and CEO Maureen Vizzignano to the program. To many of you, Maureen needs no introduction, but here's a very brief sketch, and you could read more on IHI.org. IHI's board of directors named Maureen Bisignano the organization's president and CEO after 15 years working alongside Don Berwick as executive vice president and chief operating officer. They were a true dream team, and Maureen's work at IHI built upon a career in quality improvement and hospital administration. She's an elected member of the Institute of Medicine, among other things. There are other things also nationally and internationally that Maureen is highly engaged in. Again, uh, more details on IHI.org. Maureen, welcome to WIHI.
1: Thanks, Madge.
0: Well, we've got a great... uh, rate of participation today Um, we're climbing uh, upwards of 800 folks who have joined us so far Uh, just get on board uh, and uh, we're glad to have you with us Um, I'm sure many of you are eager to ask Maureen some questions and offer some comments, and we'll get to that at the half-hour mark. I also want to mention that IHI's Lindsay Hunt is logged onto Twitter during the program, and if you'd like to see what Lindsay is capturing and add some tweets of your own, you can find the discussion using hashtag W-I-H-I-M-B. That's hashtag W-I-H-I-M-B for Maureen Bisignano. That's all one word. So Maureen, let's get underway. I keep describing you. Uh, I've had so much fun describing this program, uh, and I keep describing you as an endless optimist. Um, first of all, do you accept that description of yourself? <laughs> and if so, what feeds that uh, during especially tough times, or maybe us, you know, uh, all the time? And, uh, you know, how do, how do you do it? Okay. Well, thanks, me. I think it is a fair description. I am optimistic.
1: I, uh, I'm very lucky at IHI in that we have two methods for feeding my optimism. Uh, one is that we are able to create, through our research and development processes, new ideas. And those ideas, to watch them spread across the country or across the world, is truly heartening for me. And second... I have the great privilege of getting out into the field and working with hospitals, with physician practices, clinics, hospices around the world. And when I'm there working with patients, I actually get to see amazing improvements. One of our former board members, Louise Liang, said it like this She said, We're excellent at everything, just not everywhere. And so I'm optimistic because I get to see the excellent at everything, and I feel like it's our job to spread it to
0: everywhere. Okay. So people might like to uh, share that optimism with you sometimes, but I'm sure you've uh, run into plenty of frowns and furrowed brows these days. What are some of the pressures as you move about and talk to other healthcare leaders and people on the front lines? What do you hear from them as some of the things they're worried about?
1: Well, money, of course, is is very high on everybody's list. Uh, transparency. Uh, I guess as I as I travel around and meet with hospital executive teams, the kind of questions that they ask me is first they'll say, "How good am I?" They they one, an an assembly of information and data to answer that question. How good are we at my place? And then the second question they ask me is how do I compare with the best? So how good am I and how good is that? How do I compare with the best? And then the third question they ask me is what's my rate of improvement? If I'm not at the best now, am I getting better regularly? Am I getting better uh, quickly Uh, is there something i could do to build on that pace and so those three questions then always feed my own questions and so i always ask myself then when i'm listening to them do they have a problem of will Mm -hmm. is it a problem if they don't have the good ideas or is it a problem of execution and that's our theory at ihi that together if you want to change performance you need will you need new ideas and you need great execution skills
0: okay well maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that And and some of the things that I think we're trying to do here at IHI to sort of help answer some of those questions. You referenced uh, your travels and how that helps feed your optimism. And one of the signature things uh, that um, IHI staff really appreciate is when you come back from your trips and at staff meetings uh, share where you've been and what you learned. So I thought I'd give you a chance and give uh, folks uh, joining us today a chance to kind of what what type of story might you share now based on a recent travel and and what what did you learn from it? Well, my most recent trip
1: was out to Mayo Clinic in Rochester just two weeks ago, and I had um, the great pleasure of meeting with uh, Dr. Henry Ting. Henry's a professor and the dean of quality at the Mayo Medical School, and uh, Dr. Victor Montori, who's a physician in the division of uh, endocrinology and um i have to say they got me up early they <laughs> met with me at 6:45 uh, in the morning <laughs> uh, typical <laughs> schedule <laughs> right. so i could make rounds yeah. but i made rounds with doctors and nurses and explored some new ways that mayo clinic is interacting with patients and i have to say madge it was an experience i've never had in my 30 years mm-hmm. in, in healthcare um the conversations that i watched were incredible for their patient centeredness and so i um went on rounds with uh, um, nurses who were uh, helping patients to understand their diabetes medication and I made rounds in the surgical unit as uh, physicians were being as physicians were preparing patients to go into surgery and the conversations were unlike as i said any anything i've experienced before it wasn't i'm going to tell you what medications to take it was there are these options there are these costs there are these side effects there are these um, implications on your lifestyle if you if you want to take this kind of medication it's going to require that you give yourself two shots a day or we could look at an alternative and that kind of choice is producing better clinical outcomes and much better patient understanding and knowledge
0: of how to control their own diseases Mm, that's really terrific you know, I hope to hear more about that, and I think that kind of learning, um, as you would often say, you sort of try and sort of feed in to everyone else that you talk with and sort of back into to programs and sort of as we're doing today. Um, the last several months have been an unbelievable ride for us uh, at IHI. I guess I could say perhaps for the nation as a whole and in many respects. Uh for us here, there was an outpouring of support for Don, uh, first with his nomination and then appointment for you, for the IHI staff. We're now living that change. We're sort of moving into a whole new phase, and we would characterize it as a, a transition. In some ways, it's business as usual for us. That's always the good news, but there's also a lot of excitement in the air. Uh, A lot of people say to you, they ask any staff when they have the chance, how is IHI doing? How is IHI doing, uh, you know, without Don? And uh, I thought I'd give you a chance to sort of answer that question. How are we? (laughs) As
1: you said, <laughs> um, it, it is a time of transition, yeah. and we're doing very well. Um, yeah. The two questions I, I get asked are the one you yeah. w- the one you asked, which is, how is IHI doing? And then secondly, everybody says, and how is Dawn? Yeah. And I had the great privilege of sitting next to Dawn in the same office for 15 years, and so I'll answer both of those. Yeah. Yeah. The first is, IHI is doing very well. Um, the staff made the transition beautifully, and um, we're... Busy, excited, exploring our next year's plans. Um, We'll come back, I think, in a few minutes and talk about some of the ideas that I have for what's the next phase of IHI's work going forward. Um, But the senior team is really doing well. The staff are doing extremely well. And and to answer the second question, Don's doing very well, too. I've had the <laughs> chance to talk to him a number of times over the past few weeks, and he's really excited about the impact that he's being able to have uh, in even thinking about the impact of rules and regulations and, and the kind of work that he's doing on the country as a whole. Um, I. I wish you could be here with us at IHI just to kind of walk around the office and see for yourselves. But one of the things you'd see if you were here is a big, giant um, driver diagram that's helping us to think about the transition from July, when Dawn moved from uh, IHI down to Washington, uh, through about December for this first period of time. And we're thinking about all of the work that we're doing. We're thinking about all of you who are on the line. How do we increase the connections? How do we stay closer to you? How do we let you know more um, frequently what are the kinds of things that are happening here? We've also got some new folks. During the summer, Karen Boudreau joined us. Karen's a physician who is still practice primary care at Boston Medical Center half a day a week, but um, Karen has led statewide improvement efforts here in Massachusetts for Blue Cross Blue Shield, Massachusetts, she's got a wealth of experience, and she's leading all of our work in the what we call the continuum portfolio. That's all the work outside of the hospital. Huge projects going on here in um, the Triple Aim, in um, working in, at regional efforts in quality, uh, the STAR project with the Commonwealth Fund to prevent rehospitalizations. And we're working on a new project called Primary Care 3.0. How do we really make the connections between the primary care physician and all the other pieces of the healthcare system? And then uh, Jeff Selberg is joining us next Monday as the chief operating officer. Jeff is joining IHI to take my old position as executive vice president and chief operating officer. And Jeff was formerly the CEO of the Exempla healthcare system in right. Denver, Colorado. So we're really excited about the additions to the team and and all the work that we've got here ahead.
0: Um, Thanks, Maureen. Um, Give Maureen a a chance to sip her Diet Coke, um, another signature item. Sorry, I'm giving away trade (laughs) secrets. We have no webcam here.
1: um, Everybody who knows me knows knows I have a Diet Diet Coke. Coke,
0: Exactly. It often precedes Maureen coming into the room. That's (laughs) where you know she's going to be. This is WIHI. I'm Madge Kaplan, IHI's president and CEO. Maureen Bizignano is my guest Some of what you're hearing is also being captured right now on Twitter at hashtag W-I-H-I-M-B. That's hashtag W-I-H-I-M-B. So you can check out that discussion there if you'd like, and we're going to open up our own chat here very shortly. Practically a thousand of you have joined us, and we are very, very pleased to have you with us. Uh, Maureen was saying if if she wished you could be with us. If any of you want to visit IHI, uh, you should let us know. Um, It's one of the things we love to do. Uh, the most. Uh, many of us get great joy watching Maureen uh, host guests here and talk about uh, what's going on at the organization. So, and then you can see where certain people sit, uh, in which which offices, where's Maureen, where's Karen Bruchero, you know. Just
1: to, just to make yeah. a point on that, today yeah. we have visitors from Mexico, from Scotland, and from Japan, uh, in addition to other folks from around the United States.
0: Right, and some of them are joining and listening to WHI, so thanks for being with us. Maureen, IHI uh, is also known for having a pretty broad and deep agenda. Uh, we like to say yes, we see so many things that need attention, so we are working across the continuum and reflecting an awful lot of what needs to change in healthcare. Many of the folks joining us today are in organizations that also have very, very broad agendas, and that just reflects big thinking. On the other hand, that is all can often be overwhelming in terms of what it means to sharpen focus. You were referring before to your visits, and how do you help people even make sure that they're really going in the right direction and know that they're getting to be really one of the best? What are some of your thoughts on how the improvement community might sharpen its focus right now, particularly folks who've been at this for a while um, and might need some slightly different kind of almost like narrow, not narrow casting as in narrowing down your agenda, but just kind of where it, how to pinpoint things better? So that, that's a great question, Madge. I, I think, I guess as I look at the challenges
1: that we all face, uh, there are a few principles that I that guide me in my thinking every day. The first one is that we need new designs. The current models of care, they aren't efficient enough, they're not effective enough, and they're not patient-centered enough. So we need new designs, and pushing people to work harder or work faster isn't the answer. I guess as I think about it, we often hear people saying, I need to make a choice, and they frame it this way. They say, either I need more money or I have to give less care. And my feeling is that there is a third way, and that third way is totally redesigning the care processes. By developing these new models of care, we can embrace the new patients that are coming into the system. It's going to take innovation. It's going to take uh, a new, uh, new ways of thinking about continuity. But I am really increasingly seeing these models emerge over the, the course of the reform uh, integration, both in the United States and in other countries. And I do see that that's a part of our job at IHI, to help everybody mm-hmm. see that, so we get that excellence everywhere. One example I might give is uh, from UPMC, and that's um, uh, a new... In
0: Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania,
1: University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And one of the orthopedic surgeons there, Tony DeGioia, has been experimenting with a model that he calls PFCC, patient and family-centered care. And by using this model of redesign, he's been able to produce very wonderful clinical outcomes in a much shorter length of stay. The patients go home uh, unaided by canes and walkers. They're able to get up out of bed after just a few days after hip and knee replacement and go to a much more fully functional status in their homes. So what we're seeing there is great teamwork with doctors and nurses working together, physical um, outcomes that are wonderful fewer complications. And to me, it's optimal use of the physical facilities. So they can do more surgery with the same number of operating rooms, with the same amount of staff, because the throughput has been totally redesigned with the patients. It, really, the patients are right in the design process. That's that kind of creativity that I think we need to to move on.
0: Do you think that, um, when you refer to kind of new models and innovation and sort of redesign, is that a slight an evolution in our thinking about improvement. I think, um, you know, there's so many areas where there have been so many defects, and IHI was founded very much on principles about how to deal with the defects that patients deserve safe and effective care. Uh, Is there some kind of, I don't know if it's subtle or not, but sort of new thinking about models and redesign that maybe people haven't even entirely absorbed yet? Well, I might yeah, changed the okay. framing a little bit. I All don't right. think it's a new model. Yeah,
1: uh, I'm um, a, a learner under yeah. the tutelage of Dr. Joseph Duran. He was the first quality guru that really impacted uh-huh. my thinking. And the way Dr. Duran described it, he said there are three leadership requirements for quality. And he calls it the trilogy. And okay. he said that you need quality improvement. That's what we we've been talking mm-hmm. about identifying a defect that the patient might experience, and using iterative plan-do-study-act cycles to decrease that defect. Quality improvement is the first part of the trilogy. Mm -hmm. The second part, he says, is quality control. That is, how do you assure that every patient every day is getting the same level of care? It's stability in processes. It's reliability. It's assuring that the nurses on one end of the unit are able and skilled and have the same technology and equipment to provide the same level of care as the other unit. So quality improvement is when you see a defect you don't like. Quality control Mm -hmm. is generally assuring reliability across the whole system. And then he adds this third piece, which is innovation. We need new methods of planning processes. When a little tweaking for improvement isn't going to be good enough, and controlling the process isn't good enough we need the new design mm-hmm. we need Tony Dejoy's method of producing better uh, outcomes for hip and knee replacement that's quality innovation and i think we need all three
0: okay that's very very helpful what skills do you think are needed to um kind of move the ball forward and and i'm i'm just curious if do you think the capacity is there now Or do we also, as an improvement community, need to be starting to sharpen our thinking about skills? Well, I think we need
1: new skills at two levels. Reform is challenging all of us. And so let me start by talking about the leadership level. Um, From my experience as being a hospital chief executive uh, CEO in the past, um, and from working with CEOs worldwide in healthcare organizations, I have infinite confidence in hospital executive teams. They're very, very good at reading the tea leaves and at adjusting processes. But there's two skills that I would push them on right now. One is the um, ability to do all the work they do, but connect all the pieces of the continuum. In the past, leaders have been really good at leading hospitals or leading Uh, managed care organizations are leading group practices. Now we don't have that luxury anymore. We've got to travel with the patient from almost birth to death, or at least from diagnosis till they're fully functional again. And that's a new skill for a lot of people. Many hospitals still discharge patients and don't have any idea where that patient is going home to. Let me give you an example one of our colleagues here at IHI was telling me just a few weeks ago that um he went to visit his uncle on the day he was being discharged from hospital with a major um brain after major brain surgery and uh his his uncle was becoming functional enough and was getting around a little bit and the nurse was focused on discharging the uncle, by saying, these are the medications you need to take, and this is a diet I would prescribe, and she was being very focused on what he needed to do when he got home. Our colleague uh, said to the nurse, do you know that his wife is in a wheelchair, and he is the primary caregiver for his wife, and she had no idea, Mm -hmm. And, and so it's the missing pieces of that puzzle that we need to put together in order to assure care completeness. I'll be having uh, breakfast with Rosabeth Moss Cantor next week and Rosabeth has been pushing us in healthcare. She said, You always talk about, you know, thinking outside the box. She said, For you all now it's time to think outside the building. Mm-hmm. And I agree with her that that we need to develop a new capacity to see what where those patients are and where they're going. I'm really excited about a new medical school uh being just developed now at Hofstra and Long Island Jewish, where the first several months of the medical student's first year, the medical students will be working in the field in ambulances, and they'll become certified EMTs. What I love about that is that the first time these medical students will meet patients is they're in their home or they're out in the field, and they'll get to know this is where this patient comes from. They don't see them in the sterile environment of an emergency department as their first interaction.
0: Right, truly outside the building. Truly outside the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then the second skill I would say for leaders is really uh, collaboration and building new business models that don't rely only on the old methods of work. Um, I, I, I said before, and I'll probably say again, I don't think there's any more money in the system. So <laughs> I think we need to really think about how we eliminate waste and then how we contract and and uh, design care with using everybody's skill level and using optimal technology
0: to provide more care at a lesser price. So there are leader skills, I think, Mm -hmm. that we need to focus on. Okay. Really, really interesting stuff, and I hope it's sort of seeding some uh, thoughts for uh, those of you who have joined us today. There are over 1,000 of you. Uh we're just about at the half hour mark. I'm gonna throw in one more question for Maureen Bisignano, IHI's president and CEO. This is WIHI and I'm Match Kaplan. Really exciting excited to have this program and this time with Maureen today and thank you all for joining. I'm curious uh in what way do you feel that the recently passed healthcare reform legislation sort of lines up very nicely with uh all the challenges uh that the improvement community faces, as you're outlining. Um it gives us maybe some levers uh and and maybe maybe some um you know issues to grapple with. Well it will challenge us, there's
1: no doubt. Um the uh it may seem to the people who are coming onto the insurance rolls, the 28 million people that we expect to become newly insured, the progress may seem slow. But to the people in the health care system, <laughs> it seems blindingly fast that we need to create these new models and get them spread. Um, but as I said, I do have a lot of faith. <clears throat> We've got some resources in the country that I think will help us to see the new models more clearly um, down at... Um, CMS, where Dawn is now, the new Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, as an example, will launch many new pilot tests. And uh, I see the challenge not in creating the new pilots, but in making them visible and spreading those. I think the large scale spread across the United States is still the biggest challenge I see for us in reform. Excellence at everything, but just not everywhere. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's this big knowledge transfer piece.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I wish that people could spend yes. a week or a month with me because I'm out in the field and I'm seeing amazing progress. Right. But it's getting those lessons and helping people to actually um, implement those changes. That's the challenge. But I, I see new models emerging. One example um, recently was there was a, an article published by our strategic partner, Kaiser Permanente in Health Affairs, where they talked about um, using technology, uh, email reminders, and email communication with patients with chronic diseases to help improve outcomes in some cases. And, and I think that those new models of using different ways of communicating will really help to optimize what I call the most underutilized resource in healthcare, which is patients and families. And the more that we can optimize on patients and families and
0: get them connected, I think, the better clinical outcomes we're going to have. Okay, great. All right, we're going to let Maureen have a sip of her Diet Coke and uh, <laughs> and uh, we're going to actually now I think turn to your questions and comments. Okay. I'm Madge Kaplan, this is WIHI and I'm going to ask Jesse McCall um, to again remind you how to be an active participant now using chat, eager to hear what's on your mind. I know Maureen is. We've tried to set the table with a lot of interesting ideas here now. Uh, so uh, please, uh, we'd love to know what you're thinking as well. Jesse. Thanks Madge. Uh, So to get your question in, um, the chat room is now open. Please select all all participants. Uh, It's confusing, even I mess it up sometimes. All participants from that drop-down menu there. That'll make sure that everyone on our um, program today can see your question uh, and then uh, Madge will bring it out to Maureen. Uh, So while we're waiting for them to come in, uh, I do have one for you, Maureen. (laughs) Uh what do you see as your most important uh role as the new CEO of IHI?
1: Oh, oh just that. Uh, <laughs> That's a great question, <laughs> right? Matt, did you want to answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Maury. no,
0: go ahead. <laughs> um, we
1: we uh as I mentioned earlier, Don and I had the great luxury of sitting next to each other for 15 years and I think we've built a uh, a stable system for R&D. We have been able reliably to come up with some new ideas to solve some problems, to find your solutions that you're making, as in my visit to Mayo or UPMC, um, and to share those. But I think what I see as the challenge that uh, that I want to take forward is um, getting the whole job done. It's how do we get these new ideas and these new models spread to every hospital in the United States, to every country in the world and so it's building new connections that don't exist right now with people and organizations with the uh, the other kind of IHI type organizations around the world and how do we begin to spread these models more reliably more quickly and more completely so that we get the bat swung all the way
0: all right. Thank you very much. Wow. People are. <laughs> Let me see. I've got some interesting questions about electronic medical records. Um, the question has to do with, uh, you know, kind of how IHI can help in terms of sort of more national standardization. But um, maybe, Maureen, you could just address sort of what how IHI is sort of greeting this uh, Big challenge around, um, you know, electronic medical record systems and sort of how we hope we can be more helpful.
1: That's yeah. a perfect question. Um, you must have been in IHI because <laughs> uh, it, it's a. Th- this question is a huge priority for us in the coming year. Um, I don't necessarily know that IHI creating the standard operating system is our strength, but I get from your question that all of these carry designs need to integrate the knowledge that comes from an electronic record, and they need to exploit and use most effectively all of this system that we've got created here. Um, It's such an important issue that our board at IHI has created a task force, and it's half board and half IHI senior leaders. We're actually right now out in the field looking at this question – Where are the levers that IHI in process redesign and in reengineering can support the use of electronic medical records? Where are we seeing um, data used very effectively for improvement? And where are we seeing people get bogged down? So I take your challenge. I think it's a a
0: great one, and um, you'll hear from us soon on that. Okay, thanks, Maureen. Thanks for all your questions. I'm trying to scroll through uh, the chat, and I'll I'll, uh, sort of be picking amongst some of these. Um, There's some questions about leadership. One person is asking, what do you think are maybe some of the most important leadership skills needed from folks on the front lines? Another is sort of asking, perhaps indicating at a higher level, what about those leaders that seem slow to embrace change? So on the front lines,
1: I I, um, talked about leadership skills at the highest level that is seeing beyond the building and creating new uh, coalitions. At the front line, it's a different level of leadership, and I find that oftentimes in Healthcare organizations today, we're overestimating the skills of the frontline leaders to, to work in all three areas of the trilogy. So even improvement, many frontline leaders have never learned this in their professional training. And so we've got, I think, a pretty big challenge to try and uh, get physicians and nurses who are on the front lines who are really busy in their everyday work to take on these skills for improvement. At IHI, you might know we've got the uh, IHI Open School. So we're trying to build these skills into professional education programs. If you go onto IHI.org and hit on the Open School, you'll see that you're in good company there with um, people all over the world. Right now we've got um, about... Over 36,000 students registered, and we've got 254 chapters in 34 countries. So, we're seeing in the future doctors and nurses will be well equipped to walk onto their nursing unit or their medical division or their service and not only take care of patients but improve the outcomes day after day. I don't think we've got that broad capability right now.
0: Okay. We have a nice, uh, thanks, Warren. We have a nice uh, greeting. I'm going to mess this up, I'm sure. I think this person is saying Kia Ora from uh, New Zealand, and uh, that's uh, he, this uh, person uh, is saying, what do you see as the biggest trends in QI for the future? Uh, so we can look in your crystal ball there, but I also thought maybe we can use this as an excuse to talk about the way we see learning, the uh, way you see learning, really, across uh, many national boundaries right now. Okay, so um, I'll answer <laughs> both those questions. Yeah. The first one
1: is where are we headed? Um, if I had to sum it up, I would say um, that we're moving from uh, looking at, at safety to looking at clinical outcomes and effectiveness. We're moving from hospital-based improvement to looking at community-based improvement. We're looking at clinical outcomes and moving to the triple aim. And let me just define mm-hmm. the triple sure. aim in case someone hasn't yep. heard about that IHI term yet. Um at IHI, we started a project several years ago called the Triple Aim, and what we're asking people to do in that project is to adopt all three very challenging pieces of this Triple Aim at the same time for a population. It could be for the employees of your health system. It could be for your community, or it could be for your, the patients in your HMO. But the Triple Aim is, first of all, improving the health and the well-being of that population, The second part of the triple aim is improving the experience of care. That's all the six dimensions of the IOM. It's safe and effective and patient-centered and timely and the like. And the third bit of the triple aim is to decrease cost per capita so that we're looking at healthcare leaders who predominantly in the past may have said, my job mostly is to provide good care for these patients when they come to the hospital, taking on a much bigger role in saying, now I serve a role in the community to look not only at health care, but to look at health, to not only look at expansion, but to look at cost, and so I see that as one of the big trends. We call it triple aim in a region, and we're starting to see many organizations around the United States resonate with this idea, even though it goes against some of the traditional business models.
0: And we've learned a lot about this continuum, haven't we, from from many other nations? Absolutely. I know we've got folks from many other nations even
1: listening in on the line, and many of the lessons we've taken have been from our work in Scotland and in in England and uh, Sweden and and the Netherlands. Um, Even our work in developing nations has taught us so much about the world of improvement. We started working in developing countries several years ago with Paul Farmer and Partners in Health in Lima, Peru. And I learned two incredible lessons from being down there in Lima, the first was I learned that we need to expand our definition of the healthcare workforce. We're all, or at least the average age of IHI is young, but I'm skewing it on the other end. <laughs> um, we've got. Uh, uh, I learned that the workforce in the United States is viewed as finite, and the workforce in the developing country is viewed as is totally open. Mm-hmm. And I learned about the role of promotoras and people who have the disease taking care of other people who have the disease, because those care systems in the community produce better clinical outcomes. And I learned another great uh, lesson from Lima, and that was what I came to call Team 42. We had 41 teams working on clinical improvement, and every time they'd run up against a barrier, it might be the supplies weren't there when they needed it, or it might be there was a policy needed to be changed. The teams on the front line would go as far as they could go, and then they would say, we're stuck. And I realized that those 41 teams needed Team 42. And that was the leaders to be very closely connected with the front line and eliminating barriers every single day.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this is WIHI. Uh, Maureen Bizignano, IHI's president and CEO, is my guest. Many of you are asking wonderful questions. I want to remind you that you can download the chat uh, when you log off uh, on the computer today. If you're only tuned in via a phone line, you can email us at info at org and request a copy of the chat. Some of you are sending some very nice greetings to Maureen and And if if there are some questions that we don't get to today, we'll figure out some way uh, to answer them. Uh, Several people have asked if you would say a little bit more about Primary Care Mm 3.0. And some folks have also even connected that into Accountable Care Organizations All very small topics, (laughs) but however they're connected, but maybe we could sort of deal with both, yeah.
1: So um, Primary Care 3.0 is uh, one of our um, research and development projects at the moment. Um, Those of you who have visited or know us well may know that about every 90 days, we launch five to seven new R&D cycles. We take problems from the field, problems that you may have called me about or that you may write me about and say I have I'm stuck on this particular problem and we put it into the R&D pipeline. Um, two cycles ago we picked on uh, this notion of primary care 3.0 and we were thinking that there was a relationship with you and your primary care doctor and then there is this idea of medical homes and as I travel around the country I see a lot of excitement about medical homes. But many people are, are approaching it from a kind of a standard check, checklist approach. I need an electronic medical record. I need um, – it's it's a technical design fix. What we're looking at with primary care 3.0 is what comes after medical homes. How do we really create linkages between the, um, the physicians and, and not just the physicians, but a whole primary care team? How do we get all of those members of the team – integrated with the patient and the family so that we're constantly um, connecting about health, that it isn't just an interaction or an encounter, that we're working over a period of time on improving health. And so we've got lots of new things in the design cycle. It will feed into accountable care organizations, but it's sort of our first R&D piece on that.
0: Okay. Stay tuned. Lots to come. All right. Absolutely. And we do have a very robust, uh, R and D, uh, innovation, uh, pipeline here at IHI. And, uh, some of those areas are things that I try to pick up on, uh, indeed for WIHI. So, uh, you'll hear more about that as well. Um, I want to just throw my glasses back on here. Uh, Another question somebody is asking is about payment models, and that gets to a question even I had written down, which is, I am convinced, and I know you are, that everybody who's joined us today is working very hard on a lot of issues. They, they see, in many ways, share the vision that you're laying out and the complexity and the, the broadness of the agenda. At the same time, feel very squeezed on the financial front and feel, in many ways, payment models, uh, the way in which things are structured financially with healthcare in this country are not nicely lined up with a lot of what we're trying to do. I was thinking that reducing readmissions Mm -hmm. is a very clear riddle for everyone in terms of uh, going after something that we know needs to be addressed, which can also take a big bite out of revenues, um, at least in the most immediate uh, sense. What I know you were saying before you know it's sort of for everyone wake up and smell the coffee there's no more money you know in the system or we can't count on that what how what what is your thinking on this issue about finances and payment models and how to perhaps not be able to use it as an excuse well i it is my passion to
1: make these connections yeah. between care designs and finances, so I'm really glad that you asked that question um. it's going to be a challenge in the short run. In a sense, we need to build some bridges between the old payment model, where we were paid fee-for-service, and a new payment model, where people will be paid for bundles or paid for uh, a period of time. They'll be paid through an ACO. Um, And right now, we're living in both worlds. So I certainly understand how challenged people are in the transition. At IHI, we see our job in kind of helping to build some of those bridges. As an example, I hear everybody talking about payment bundles and nobody talking about care bundles, but I think that's what we need to do is build a different way to look at care that matches up with the payment system. And and I think that it's going to be incremental change. An example from one of my great friends in England, David Peet, was um, he was looking at a a hospital system in East Lancashire that was really struggling to try and manage all the patients that they had, and there was a waiting list to get in, and every bed was full, and he was struggling with volume. Um, not dissimilar to some of the struggles that we're seeing here. Um, they're on a limited budget, so when you think about what would what would we do here, what would you do, what would a hospital do, what would I do when I was CEO? If I had a bulging occupancy and a big waiting list, I guess my first inclination would have been to say, I need to build more beds. Mm -hmm. David's was different. David said, I'm going to close 10% of the beds Mm. and leave all the nursing staffing and the physician staffing the same and help them to work on improvement. So we taught them how to decrease decubitus ulcers and infections and anything that would be a complication that would lengthen stay. And as those complications decreased, the length of stay decreased, so so did the waiting list. And I think it's that kind of vision to build new models and to build these bridges that will help us through the next really challenging couple of years of reform
0: to the new model. Okay, very good. Thanks, uh, Maureen. Thanks for all your questions. Um, there is a, a question here about... Um, how can IHI spread, uh, so you were talking about sort of new kinds of training models and you referred to, uh, the new medical school that's coming online, the, uh, Hofstra Long Island Jewish. And I will mention to people, actually, that's going to be the focus of my WIHI on September 23rd. So I'm excited that you mentioned that. Um, but people are, you know, wondering in the same way with medical training how are those things going to spread Uh, in in the same way that we talk about spread with so many other areas of work? So uh,
1: there
0: there are a couple of things.
1: One is through the IHI Open School. Um, We had been at IHI working through the traditional curricula um, for medical schools, nursing schools, healthcare administration programs for many years uh, through the traditional trying to redesign and squeeze in some quality improvement training into a very busy schedule. And, um, almost two years ago now, we decided to go directly to the students and open up the IHI Open School. And as I said, huge numbers of students are now becoming trained. And I, I see that, that we, we're already in 34 countries, but in every state in the United States, we're seeing chapters emerge where medical students and nursing students are saying, one, we need to learn together. They don't want to learn separately anymore. They know that teamwork and collaboration is a key success factor. So they're they are they're actually driving the conversation at every AMSA meeting and at every um, uh, nursing student meeting. Um, but secondly, we're seeing uh, doctors and nurses learn in a different way. I teach a course over at the Harvard School of Public Health every summer. And it's usually about 70 or so new physicians Um, mostly physicians, who come to that course, and they are interested in the science of improvement. They're interested in learning about measurement and interpretation of variation and um, the management of improvement um, as they undertake their careers, but I also give them an assignment that's very different, and it's the one that has really changed their lives. I give them one of their homework assignments is um, an interview with a patient or a family member of a patient, and it's in three parts. The first part of it is they sit and interview the patient or the family member, and the only question they ask is, what is it like to be the mother of a child with asthma, Mm -hmm. or what is it like to be the wife of a person with HIV, and they they don't speak, they just listen, Mm -hmm. and what they hear is the burden of illness. They hear that their child's father won't stop smoking, and that causes recurrent attacks. They hear that they don't have enough money for the medications. They hear the child is depressed and withdrawn and afraid to play in the playground because of a pending asthma attack. And then the second part of the interview is, what is it like when you go to get health care for that disease or that problem? And it's a total mismatch between the conversations that they have with their patients and the conversations that they have about the burden of illness. And then the third is they write a piece of a a project on how they would change the healthcare system. And I think it's those kind of examples that we need to put in the hands of doctors and nurses in training to get them to see the bigger picture of healthcare.
0: Okay, thank you so much. I'm going to just take a, a quick pause here. We'll get back to questions. That was, of course, Maureen Bisignano. We're thrilled that you're all with us today with a discussion. Uh, two things I want to just mention as we learn more about organizations that are achieving the highest quality care at the lowest cost, something that Maureen was referencing. The engagement of governance and executive leadership is front and center in every story. And to better equip boards to lead their organization's quality programs through the twists and turns of the new healthcare environment, IHI is offering a worthwhile program called From the Top. That's uh, From the Top, The Role of the Board in Quality and Safety, and the next offering takes place October 4th and 5th in Washington, D.C., and there's more information about that on our website. And I also want to uh, mention something, um, and maybe I'll ask Maureen about it, too, the improvement map, something that we're We're celebrating the first year of that, Uh, and to help uh, remind everybody of what this amazing tool can do for you as you work to make hospital care safer, we're going to have a series of free webinars um, that can help you uh, use the map uh make care safer smoother reduce costs and, and to also lead more effectively and if you we have a lovely little improvement map link on the homepage of ihi.org and if you click on that you can find out more so maybe I'll just use that as an interesting segue Maureen it's been a year since uh we took um you know that we went live with that map on the website it is very much a robust tool and we gathered up so much knowledge in that. What's the significance, uh, do you think, of of that improvement map and perhaps how you think it's helping?
1: Well, here's what I hear in the field. When I'm out working with uh, hospital um, senior teams, what I find around the table is a huge diversity in priorities. The CFO is worried about the bottom line, uh, volume equations, and capital investments. The um, head of nursing is often worried about complications and patient satisfaction and integration and teamwork. The chief medical officer is worried about clinical outcomes, and the CEO is worried about putting all the pieces together and building that bridge that I spoke about earlier. Um, It's almost like you hear them speaking different languages when they're sitting around having a senior meeting. And what the MAP does is it creates sense for all. So what I would recommend is is something I've done with several teams, is to sit with the improvement map, and in the improvement map there's a tool that allows you to kind of rate where do you think you are on all the major processes of care in your hospital. And we've seen whole senior teams take that assessment, and it shows you where is the diversity of opinion on priorities. But that taking that assessment and then kind of guiding through the improvement map will help you to prioritize. What people say is it's the sense-making tool for them. And so I've sat with teams as an example that said, no pay for never events. One, we should never have those never events for patients. But two, there's a financial penalty. They can sort through the map to find out all the no pay for never events, and then they can email it to the head of ED or the head of ICU with a complete change package, resources, links, and it's all free. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do here is help senior teams prioritize, make sense, and then drive improvement.
0: Okay, very good. Well, just a couple of wrap-up questions, and then we'll kind of close out today. Um, You know, we, you, Maureen, and we here at IHI, and so many I think joining us today have watched and noted with great interest, and participated perhaps at some levels with all that uh, developed with healthcare reform, the passage of the health reform legislation. Uh, At some point uh, recently, actually, we had a uh, you attended and spoke, I believe, at a meeting not waiting for healthcare reform, and. Um, I think we've been trying to sort of see how to ride this wave here of a very changing and challenging environment in the country and clearly changes going on with policy and rules and regs and laws, et cetera, and sort of riding and going with the knowledge that we have and with all the sort of firepower power that we do have. So I guess I want to just ask you a kind of a sense of, you know, where, where should the momentum be coming from and how much should people be paying attention to what's going on in Washington? Well, <laughs> of course we have to pay attention
1: right. to it, but let me say, I firmly believe that the models for national change are going to come from local improvements. Um, What I'm seeing now is in our project, uh, Triple Aim in a Region, or how will we do that, we're seeing leaders come together and say, we will live up to our mission statement. Most hospital mission statements says we will improve the health of our population, and they're taking that very seriously now. So we're seeing local models, places like Cedar Rapids, Iowa, like uh, Bellingham, uh, Washington, like uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, and Green Bay, Wisconsin, um, Richmond, Virginia, uh, leaders from different organizations come together and say, okay, this is our population, we are the care system, and we're going to provide new models. I don't believe that a national model will emerge quickly enough um, for all of us to employ, but I do very strongly believe, and I see it every day, these local models emerging to meet the local healthcare needs
0: of our communities, and, and that's where I place my bets. Okay, very good. Well, I want to uh, thank all of you for joining today and to thank Maureen Bizignano. I think we got through most of the questions and comments. We will take a look at the chat, as I invite all of you to do as you log off. Um, next up on WIHI on September 23rd from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern time. That's our usual time. The buzz about medical training. It's slowly changing. Uh, that's the same title as Wanted Health Professionals Trained in Science and Humanism. Um, and, uh, we're going to find out more about this interesting model going on at Hofstra and several others that I'm learning about. We've got some deans coming on who are really spearheading exciting new programs we hope you'll join us and information about that is on our website and you can also enroll right now if you'd like you can also download this program uh but as early as tomorrow morning you can find it on our own website or you can find it on itunes and we've got a quite an interesting uh series of programs on under our archive tab on the WIHI section of IHI.org. Vicki Minden to my left here. You can't see Vicki, but she's an unbelievable trooper with this program, and with the help of many of you, she puts together a wonderful resource document that also lands on the archive page as well. There's a survey that pops up when you log off the program today, and we would really welcome your feedback. filling that out. That's one way I learn uh, what worked for you in the program, what we could improve upon, as always. And don't forget, you can always email uh, WIHI at info at IHI.org. All that information is forwarded to me. The people who help make WIHI possible are Mike Sweeney, Jesse McCall, Alan Oleson, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Matt Morse, and Vicki Minden. And I want to give a special shout out to Lindsey Hunt today for masterfully tweeting on Twitter. And if you'd like to check, and I could maybe we could even try and say that very fast. If you'd like to check out the Twitter feed uh, about today's program and our discussion with Maureen Bisignano, you can find that discussion thread using hashtag WIHI. MB, that's W, I'm sorry, hashtag W I H I M B. The music that opens and closes W I H I uh, that's Original Arrangements by Aaron Flanders on guitar and Miguel Cepassoa on piano. And I want to thank you again, Maureen. This has been a wonderful pleasure. We'll get you back here uh, more often, I think, and uh, kind of check up on various things that we've been talking about. And um, I'm sure I join everyone on today's program in wishing you well. And uh, it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care, most of all. A goal I know all of you share. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day.